0: Hi everyone welcome back to pardon my passion this is episode 10 double digits today on the show we are joined by the most energetic engineer and entertainer that i know which is not only a lot of ease but a rare combo to have charles holtforster works at hacksmith industries a youtube channel with over 14 million subscribers and a surprise to many people, is based right here in Kitchener. Hacksmith is known for their Make It Real series, where they take fictional items from comic books, movies, and video games and make them in real life. Like Iron Man photon repulsors, Halo coil guns, and a lot more incredible stuff in the pipeline. I worked with Charles a few years ago when he came to Ad Hoc for a co-op stint. We kept in touch, and after watching the Superman laser glasses video by Hacksmith, you can guess where the eye tracking glasses came from, I invited myself some much-too-strong beers and my audio gear over to Hacksmith where I was transformed into what can be most succinctly described as a child in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, just ogling at the incredibly cool and audacious projects that you can see on YouTube, but maybe do that later. For now, please enjoy my conversation with Charles. Okay, welcome to Hacksmith Industries, which is uh, basically Stark Industries, but the <laughs> Kitchener version. We have with us Mr. Charles Holt Forster. I guess. And you're basically real life Tony Stark?
1: No, actually, that's my boss's title. Um, I'm more like Tony Stark's understudy or. I guess that would make me Mysterio, actually. So let's probably not continue this train of reasoning too far. But I certainly do work at uh, real-life Stark Industries, or at least that's been our goal the entire time since when James started the company. This is Hacksmith Industries, and we try to make real. More specifically, Make It Real, which has been the name of the show we've been making on YouTube for quite a number of years now, where we try and take ideas from movies, comics, and video games and make them in real life.
0: And you guys do a hell of a good job. I mean, oh, thank you. We have uh, we have the half scale Tesla Cybertruck. We have this Hopper, which basically looks like it came from uh, Pacific
1: Rim Three. And, yes, that uh, is the aliens power loader. Aliens power loader. Okay, I haven't seen mm-hmm. that video yet. Well, there were fourteen of them, so it will take <laughs> you
0: a while to catch up. All right, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> so. I know you, Charles, from our days at Ad Hoc, where yes. you were a meager co-op that uh, I guess we consider our superstar co-op. You uh, <laughs> you help at our eye tracking company make our very important robot or iRobot, all within the span of your four month
1: engineering co-op term. Yes, I'm actually still curious how that robot has wound up holding up over the years because like they. Did. I stand by what I designed, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was the best idea ever. So, to give you an idea, we have
0: six of them now, and they're running literally 24-7. Okay, that's a bit more than I expected. Um, They've multiplied. No, it was it was oddly done. We're, we're a little bit miffed that you didn't uh, come and make the iRobo R2, and instead you came over to Stark Industries, uh, sorry, Hacksmith Industries, <laughs> To make real-life lightsabers and one wheels and bat signals and half-scale cyber trucks and what do you? The alien what? The aliens power loader. Power loader. What? What does that thing do?
1: Well, uh, it loads power. You see. No, but seriously, uh, it's a kind of replica of the giant walking mech that uh, the main character of Aliens, a movie that I have not yet seen, despite working here, uh, uses first as just a futuristic-looking forklift, and later as a weapon for uh, dismembering xenomorphs. Um, Due to the practicalities of building giant walking vehicles, it's hard, it's really extraordinarily hard. It is, in fact, just on tracks. It's based off of a Caterpillar skid steer loader. And it has, yeah, two fully articulable arms that are, I believe, four or five degree of freedom each. So you can use it to pick stuff up. It is astonishingly powerful, a massive undertaking by the company that I had almost zero contribution to.
0: So we're, we're, we're sitting in this large warehouse where the magic happens. We have racks of, first of all, Red Bull and sheet metal <laughs> and... We have this uh, large secret project going on in the corner.
1: Yep, I'll give you a hint. It involves more hydraulics mm. than even the power loader. Mm. And it also runs robot operating system.
0: Yeah. So you guys, you guys do cool shit here. I haven't, to be honest, fully thought through what exactly uh, the contents of this particular episode is going to be. But typically, we go through the, I guess the the lives of our, our guests and what drove them to do the things that require so much vigor and vitality of which you are not short of any, you know, when, when Why you were you. <laughs> a, a co-op at, at ad hoc, we're like, Oh my God, like the, this guy just brings the energy level from here <laughs> up to here and we're, we're going to have to keep up with them. But no, like you're, you're great. And it seems like, well, it you seems like, like you, you've come here and you've hit the ground running. And it, w- would you say that this is more or less what, uh, you know, if you could be doing anything this this is close to
1: what you would choose to do? Well, that, that is a question that everyone should think about with everything they do. And for me, I can't think of anything I would rather be doing, really. Yeah, like what, what could be a more... There's, there's a few facets to it. What could be a more entertaining thing to do with my life? What could I spend eight hours a day doing that is more enjoyable, just minute-to-minute exciting and I don't think there is an answer to the to that except for this. What I'm doing is the most exciting thing I could be doing on just a minute-to-minute basis. But beyond that, there's also the, the considerations of the greater impact of what I actually do, you know, day-to-day. And some people are trying to, you know, solve the world's problems. And some people are trying to make sure that life remains livable for everybody on this planet. People working in power systems engineering or, like, If you're designing power lines, I have immense respect for you because you're making sure that I can do everything I need to do in my life. You have to actually think about what, you know, what is everyone else doing? What am I doing? What am I contributing to the world and the people around me? And to me, the answer to that is without a shadow of a doubt, inspiring people to be excited about engineering, about science, about creating things, about being able to enact a change in the world. That's important. That's how I got where I am. That's how I got to the point where I'm comfortable going, yeah, I can do that. Picking up a soldering iron, picking up a pencil, picking up a hacksaw and just trying to build something that solves a material problem in my life or in my job or just at home. Being inspired to do that takes it takes active energy. It's the work that Adam Savage and the lot at Mythbusters did for so long that inspired so many of us into this sort of field. Were they one of your... Um One of your childhood heroes? Absolutely. Adam Savage and Grantee Mahara and everyone else, but mostly uh, Adam Savage and the regrettably late Granty Mahara. Rest in peace. May he rest in peace. uh, Were a massive inspiration to me growing up. Um, And just the level of enthusiasm and vigor that they were able to bring to the table uh, if, uh, and I've never met them, so I'm going to go with if only on camera, but that's the only experience I've ever had of them. So what else can I go off of? Just the belief that was presented to me that you can get excited about these things. That's important. Because to me, when I was 13, you know, just going into high school, I was pretty sure I wanted to, do, to go into engineering or computer science or something like that. Something where when I set out to do what I've been trained to do, I know that there's something that's going to come of it that isn't just a notion. It's a thing. It does something. Something changes due to what I've done. And it's not just a concept or a figment. It's actually something changes in this world when I hit enter or hit cycle start on a CNC machine. Something that I have decided will happen happens. And, you know, possibly some things that I didn't decide will happen, but something happens. And I think that making sure people and kids and youth and people going into schools. Understand that that's an option. That that's something that they can make happen themselves. That's important.
0: If if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think not far from the bottom of the of the pyramid, you have a sense of belonging, or however it's uh, it's phrased. I I've chosen to work at you know the ad tracking company where we met. I could contribute, and then see the fruits of my labor uh, manifest in the actual product. I get where you're coming from you guys do cool shit. Um, Do you want to run through like from a high level what you guys make here? What maybe the mission statement of the organization here
1: is? I think I actually failed to replicate what the mission statement was earlier but only barely. It's that we take ideas from fiction in movies, video games, and comics and attempt to make it in real life. That is our mission here. Uh, But the corollary to that, or is corollary, never quite figured that one out, is that we do this with the goal of inspiring people and youth and children into engineering and the various uh, STEM or STEAM fields, depending on who you're asking. I don't think we're going to be inspiring many people into art. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, but that's also important. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I, I've seen some of the comment sections and the Google map reviews as I was looking for this place, and there's, they're very positive. Um, I didn't know we had Google Maps reviews. You, <laughs> you do, me. I need to pull this up. You do. And a lot of people are you know telling you guys, even though they haven't visited th- this place, because you guys say that you're close to the public, this channel has inspired them to pursue engineering. And I think there's even a couple that say they are currently doing engineering degrees because of your channel.
1: Uh, one of the other comments is, of course, quote, They tried to stop me, but Lizard Man prevailed end quote. But no, it is really great to see comments like that. Um, that really reaffirms what I'm doing, like seeing that people that go, wow, this sort of thing inspired me into, to go into engineering school. That's really great to see because this sort of thing inspired me to go into engineering school, not necessarily on YouTube, but in no small part due to YouTube. YouTube was uh, a bit more of a wild place back when I was in middle school, The only large channels I can think of from the time were like Machinima. Uh, And even then, that wasn't quite the right thing. And that was before kind of the idea of a channel as a business became popular. But there were still people doing the same sort of thing we do. Just going, hey, I want to build this thing. And it's going to inspire somebody. And that's not necessarily why they put it out there. But they did put it out there and it did inspire somebody. And people got excited about that too. Yeah, and you know, with the scale of the
0: internet and YouTube and, and media where it is today, there's a lot of influence. There's a lot of influencers and there's a lot of consumers who are being pushed in, in various directions based on the, the things that they, they they do consume. And in my humble opinion. Some are more noble than, than others. So what, what, what's the goal here? Uh, are we just going to perpetuate this chain of engineer, inspiring engineer, inspiring engineer, and it's going to be this pyramid scheme? Or uh, <laughs> what's, the, what, what, what's the long-term play? Let's be well, the devil's
1: advocate here. Well, if we can all down the pyramid scheme, manage to get paid by different advertisers and not step on too many people's toes, then that's fine, I guess. But the end goal isn't that. My hope isn't that people get inspired by what I'm doing to go into attempting to do what I'm doing. My hope is that they see that they're able to make a difference in the world and create new things that solve novel problems, and that they'll actually take that and attempt to solve novel problems, or at least, at the very least, try to do something interesting. Just make the world, if not a better place, certainly a more interesting place, a weirder place less dull. I don't want people to get inspired to go into engineering by me and wind up, say, to throw shade at a particular friend of mine, optimizing an equation that just raises a slightly ever higher exponent on the right-hand side of some hedge fund's income. I don't want people to get inspired to do that. I want people to get inspired by me by the idea that they can be an engineer, and as an engineer, they can tackle important problems. Important problems. They can be like, okay, well, clearly, it's not that difficult to do difficult things. Let's do a difficult thing. Let's go and try to battle world hunger by making a better way of producing food. Let's go and try and tackle climate change by building novel means of energy production, or transportation, or better—I don't friggin' know. I don't have the—I so- don't have the solutions here except for throwing more bodies at the problem. I'm going to be honest with you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I, w- I would be part of the school of thought where more engineers is not necessarily a bad thing. I think having people with technical competence, it, it, it's a skill set, right? I will throw the concession here that not every problem in the world is going to be fixed with you know engineering might.
1: No, and it's probably for the best that we don't try to solve every problem with engineering might. There's some problems that engineers are not well-equipped to solve. That's right, and so we should teach humility
0: uh, some way. But if somebody watches Charles and the Hacksmith channel build this half-scale Cybertruck with eighth-inch stainless steel and go through the tribulations of welding the damn thing
1: and what are the other tribulations of building a half-scale Cybertruck? So my my key takeaway from the Cybertruck build Uh, Was that if you're going to build a vehicle and you want to test it out, test the brakes first. Seems prudent. This table we are currently sitting at, uh, you can't see this uh, in the podcast because you can't see anything in the podcast. You you can hear it. It's very wobbly. Because one of the legs was at one point bent 40 degrees backwards by me ramming the Cybertruck into it at 1.30 at night while I was working for Ad Hoc Microsystems, but had gone in after work just to hang out with the guys and play around a bit with this project. And at 1.30 in the morning, we went, holy crap, we've actually got the whole thing built up. We have a drivetrain, we have the motor controllers, we have a gas pedal, and nothing else. And so Bogdan goes, yo, no, no, we've got to try this before we leave. And I go, yeah, we've got to try this before we leave. And James goes, yeah, I'll see you guys tomorrow. And goes back to his office to play some video games. Uh, and Bogdan and I, undeterred, run to the batteries cabinet and go, okay, we need this much current. Um, get that cell monitor. And we start checking all the battery packs to see which ones we can parallel up to get a high enough ampacity pack to do what we want to do. And eventually we figure it out. We've got this pack built up. It's delivering the right voltage. I think... 50 volts, whatever the hell it was, with enough ampacity to run the motors. We plug it in. We put it in an ammo case just in case something goes foul. We wire it in. We've got the cart. I clamber in. I finish the electrical connections because I somehow wound up being the guy who best knew how it was wired despite not working there at the time. And I tap the throttle for the first time. And the cart rolls. And Bogdan goes, just got it! Just got it! So I put my hand all the way down on the throttle pedal. ...and realized that the throttle was the only input that permitted me to control the vehicle in any manner whatsoever. No way to accelerate it backwards if, say, you were coming to bear on a nearby table at 20 kilometers an hour. So we slammed into it, and by which I mean I and the cart slammed into it full blast. Bent my leg over, uh, the whole thing sounded like a car crash because, well, it was a car crash. Uh, I was fine because we were going slow and I managed to brace and realize where this was going well before it got there. That was only the first time I wound up bending the legs out of one of these tables with a vehicle. I hope it's the second last. Something's got to give. Yeah, something's got to give. That is the first rule of engineering. In general, I think. I think
0: it's also Newton's fourth law. (laughs) That was a digression. I was, I'm, I'm very pleased we went on. <laughs> Damn, I am nothing if not full of
1: good digressions and distractions.
0: Love it. Yeah, as I was saying earlier, um, there, there's a lot of influences. There's a lot going on 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 the internet, and if if we can inspire kids to, you know, take up a soldering iron or a 3D printer and learn how to code, we can create a Pretty competent bunch of little kids. I don't know if I told you, but I recently started a, as a, like a volunteering gig to teach some kids in a in a neighborhood Lego Mindstorms. No, you hadn't
1: mentioned that actually. That's yeah?
0: awesome. No, it's sick. My reaction when I talk to people about this is, "Oh, cool, you're teaching like kids things." But then the reaction is usually like, very positive, and honestly, it's 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 been a huge like plus in my life because we're teaching these kids who. You know, you can justify morally and, and say, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't have these opportunities, which is also true. But then we're teaching them these cool skills. And yesterday, what we did was we had these two Syrian uh, boys who came as refugees to Canada two years ago. Okay. Yeah. So their English is not very good, but they were put into this program called, I don't remember the name, but it was some accelerated program that they uh, come up with for. Kids who are academically competent but perhaps don't have the language skills to to usually back it up. And so they they try to bridge that gap. So I showed them what one could do with uh, a robot with two motors that will turn the wheels to go forward and straight and left and back. let's try it again forward and back left and right (laughs) and uh and had this ultrasonic sensor which would uh, sense where the wall is and i couldn't really figure out like how to teach them robot controls you know like how can i tell them this is how you want to program this thing it's like you're instructing a person okay so i got them to stand up i say uh Shafiq, please uh, stand up and walk towards the wall. And when the wall is this close to you, I want you to stop and turn 90 degrees to the right. And I, that, was, that was the one that did it. But the, the satisfaction that came from the smiles on their faces, like once they've actually picked it up, what I, what I wanted to show them, was, it, it was priceless. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And you're doing that on a very grand scale. Right, and and the power of the internet uh, enables this. So instead of me teaching two two Syrian refugees at a time, uh, it's millions. Like, how many
1: viewers do you have? Um, yeah, millions would be a, a astoundingly fair statement, I guess. We we see a lot of viewership, and the difference is you get to see the smiling faces in person, which is just an incredible feeling. Um, a few times I have like taught something like that. It's great to see people grasping something and realizing the opportunity that this knowledge presents them. Uh, for us, we have to rely on the comment section, and the YouTube comment section is a hazard fraught place at best. It's the same general feeling of just knowing that you've made a difference to somebody somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And knowing that someone is going to take what you have shown them and go, Oh, I could do that. You know, maybe I could use what I've seen here to blank. I'm not too fussy on the specifics of what that is, really, just so long as people are realizing that they have the capacity to change the world. And that's really what it comes down to. And in in your instance, LEGO Mindstorms is an amazing teaching tool for just robotics and mechanical thinking and computer thinking. It's fantastic that you have the opportunity to present this to people. And even kids whose English isn't great because they've basically run with nothing but the shirts on their back from a war zone Mm -hmm. are still able to get the opportunity. And the block coding, you said how to explain this with just block coding. I'm going, well, actually that kind of sounds like the perfect tool. The big block with the circular arrow indicating counterclockwise turn. I think we can wrap our heads around that with a language barrier, especially if you have the robot there and you can hit go and you can point at the block, point at the robot spinning. That's a heck of a lot more eloquent than anything you can say in English. You have the block here, hit, go, it does the spin. And it's great to actually be able to convey that capacity to make things work in the way that they envision.
0: I feel like that in itself is, is a language, a technical education. And I, I'm not trying to get too, like, sappy and shit about... My, my love affair with math and, and engineering. but You may not be trying, but do it anyways, I'm game. Solicited or not, here it comes. Math is what's often regarded as like a universal language. And this reality that we live in, I, I just finished 1984, and in that dystopian universe, if the party says 2 plus 2 equals 5, then 2 plus 2 equals 5. And if you say otherwise, then they will they will torture you and they'll, they'll mess you up. But thankfully, we, we live in this world where two plus two is equal to four. And what that means is when you teach somebody you know technical skills and when you teach somebody uh, how to leverage math and uh, mechanical wrenching skills and some electrical skills and some coding skills, then universally people will be able to find uh, uses for those things, right? Like, Certainly. Charles, why don't we walk through uh, your origin story and what got you into learning about engineering and having these technical interests and maybe what led to your interest in superheroes and where, where you are today. So there was some Adam Savage involved. There was uh, some Mythbusters involved. and
1: Oh, wow. Um, what did? Any influence like that has to start at home, of course and my parents never hesitated to be enthusiastic and let me be enthusiastic and eager about engineering and the kind of engineering and technology mindset my mom is a civil engineer my dad is also a civil engineer uh, my mom works in uh, water main maintenance the city of ottawa my dad runs a project management firm also in ottawa And my dad, when I was younger, had a workshop in the basement. He would always let me in to see what he was doing and how he was building things. And just, again, engage with that idea that you can elect to change the world around you by by tools, by the power of your own mind and your own hands. And my mother, of course, she also had the same outlook on things, if not quite to the same uh, swinging hammers and driving screws extent, but certainly no fear of going, well, I'd like, you know, It is a hackneyed example, but I'd like this garden to look better. What are we going to do? We're going to get out there with a rake, and we're going to make it look better. These clothes have holes in them. We are going to stitch them up and fix those holes. Mm -hmm. The house doesn't look nice here. We're going to rearrange this. These are all very, very pedestrian examples, but um, we're still focusing on the engineering side of the influence.
0: There's an important... Lesson here that you learned, which is that you are the agent of change in in your own life. That you're not a bystander to just because your garden is in disarray doesn't mean that it has to be that way. Just because this piece of wood is not in the exact shape that you want it to be doesn't mean that you you don't have the power to do it.
1: I really wish I'd thought of less shitty examples for ways in in which my mother influenced that, but it it was still that same mindset, even if I can't think of particularly concrete examples that. Why is that like that? Well, why do you think that's like that? Let's figure that out. How do you, how could you make that better? Well, what would you do to make that better?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can do that. That's an option. That exposure started at home from a young age and then continued as I grew older and uh, gained more access to media, mostly through the internet. We didn't have cable TV. We didn't watch much TV when I was young. Mm-hmm. Uh, so through the internet, when we finally managed to gain access to the internet, Eventually, I got my hands on an iPod touch, and I used that to watch a shit ton of YouTube videos. And a few names that pop out to me just off the top of my head. Um, actually, there aren't a whole lot. Uh, but Afrotech Mods. this guy from Toronto, had a tremendously good YouTube channel that he still maintains. And that is where I first stumbled upon, or at least proximate to that is where I first stumbled upon the idea of a coil gun which turns out to be a recurring theme in the progression of my career. You're right. And that was on ECG site was the name of the YouTube channel. It then turned into a then turned into a pyramid scam bot and got taken down by YouTube. It was just all videos about buying silver from this one particular site and I've been able to find no other record of its existence despite remembering what it was called, acgsite.net or something like that. I haven't been able to find any record of it, but this guy had some beautiful designs using the technology that was available at the time. So no lithium polymer batteries. If there was a battery, it was lead-acid. If it was an automatic-fed system, it was running off of lead-acid batteries. And the, the way the batteries reacted to these pulse loads, you would actually see the power delivery capability to the projectile decrease as the fire rate went up because the battery would start sagging dynamically as you held the trigger down.
0: Like, and things the, like the, that. the battery would actually compress?
1: No, the, uh, the battery voltage would diminish. Okay. And so you'd get lower performance out of the gun the higher the fire rate went Got
0: it. I'm not an electrical engineer, so sagging is uh, is a foreign topic to me, but not anymore. Thank you for the
1: education, Charles. But then there were also other channels like Kip K and Make and Colin who now resides at Adafruit, I think, or possibly still make magazine. And the videos from them just kind of explaining basic concepts, which is not something we do here at Hacksmith these days, but that's getting ahead of myself. Things like that just all contributed to the idea that, hey, you know, I can try building something like this. Mm -hmm. I can build things. That's something I'm surely equipped to do. Pro tip for any parents of young engineering-minded children, Do not let them have access to disposable cameras with 300-volt flash chargers inside of them. Because they will do something stupid with them. And if they're lucky like me, they won't die as a result. But don't do that. It's dangerous. But I did anyways, and attempted to build the first of several coil guns. It worked. It could reliably fling a finishing nail about 20 feet across a room.
0: Did you have a sequence of coils?
1: No, there was just one coil and one capacitor bank. Pulling the trigger would directly connect one to the other. That's rather rudimentary. That's pretty I, direct. I took a crack at putting in a MOSFET to uh, try and attach the two together without running 300 amps or whatever the hell it wound up being through the button you were pressing. That didn't work, and it just kept catching fire. I eventually decided, okay, that was fun. Let's put this away, and maybe I'll come back to it later. And I'm just on the precipice of going down a very long storied rabbit hole. So if there was a question you wanted to ask... Disposable,
0: about disposable cameras and...
1: We're already, no, no, we're there. We're we're about this far down, Peter, but it will keep going like six years into the future. Eight years into the future from there. That's exactly where I want to go. So in that case, Peter, I'd like to tell you about the time I brought a gun to a job interview.
0: Ah, was that this job interview?
1: That was, in fact, this job interview.
0: Oh, I, that's on your video, right? Well, you guys, yes, you guys remade yes, the, it, Yes,
1: was that your actual project? The less dramatized version of events was put into the most recent Coil Gun build video I did at Hacksmith Industries. Because in that video, it's alluded to that I showed up to the job interview with the Coil Gun and was hired on the spot, <laughs> Which is leaving out all of the best parts of that story. So after first attempting to build a coil in grade 7, 8, or 9, or whatever the heck it was. I don't remember. I put it aside for a while and came back to it eventually in university. I just finished first term. It's now in my second term of school. And I thought, you know, I've now actually taken an electrical course. I should know what I'm doing a little better. And since I have things to my own, like a computer, and I have a lot of unfettered free time right now, don't know quite where I got that impression while well, in the first year of engineering school, but I digress. I should try and do this properly. And hey, I can get custom circuit boards made for really cheap, in air quotes, uh, at the uh, engineering machine shop. No, actually, the prices were pretty much extortionate, but that's beside the point. And the quality was miserable. That's before the days of PCB Way. No, it wasn't that's the thing I just didn't know that PCB way and JLCPCB existed. Oh, gotta step up your uh, their marketing game. So I, and I'd love to say not sponsored, but um, well, uh, we are sponsored by one of those guys. But part of my passion is not so pardon my passion is not sponsored by anything best I can tell. <laughs> I digress. first year of engineering school, just finished 1A, had a co-op back in school in residence and I go. You know, I can probably do a better job of that. A friend at the time of mine had given me a bag of capacitors that he had salvaged out of his grandfather's garage. His grandfather used to run a computer manufacturing business back when a computer manufacturing business was a thing that you could run out of your garage. That's true. And he had a bag of power supply filtering capacitors, a bunch of electrolytics. And he just handed me one of the bags because he had like 20 of these bags, 50 capacitors each. I was like, holy crap, I need to build a coil gun out of this. Clearly, that's just, that's what I do. That's what the universe is telling you, that
0: if a bag of capacitors fall into your lap, you must build a coil gun. Yes.
1: When life gives you capacitors, build a coil gun. Facts. So I decide, well, we'll do that. Surely I can figure it out correctly this time. And this time I included a flyback diode. I included what I thought was a properly rated MOSFET. And I had it done on a printed circuit board. And since I had access to the student machine shop, I was able to make a custom mandrel instead of just wrapping copper wire around the husk of a Bic pen. (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) Of course I did. And so I got all these parts together and soldered it up. And would you believe it, it actually worked. So I could pretty reliably, at 50 volts, I do not remember how I got 50 volts into the thing, fling a... um. I believe it was a machine screw with the head cut off from my desk to the ceiling in a heartbeat and then let it fall back down. And if I turned it to the side a bit, I could launch it from my desk into the hallway, which gave the Dons no shortage of excitement and myself no shortage of mirth. But as things are wont to do, it kept catching fire. So I eventually said, "Okay, we'll put that aside again because you know, I've got exams to worry about, midterms, and it's kind of occupying a lot of time, tuning this thing in and a lot of money, because this time the transistors actually were like $8 a piece, which is a little pricey uh, for my sort of budget. So we set that aside again. I'd had ambitions to build it into a multi-stage unit, but no, nope, set that aside, leave it for now. In second year, 12 months later, finished two more co-ops, finished two more terms at school, I decide I should take another crack at this. So I made use of them, and I, I got a thing together. had a nice, clean design that was easy to tile, easy to manufacture. It was on a nicely made circuit board this time. Uh, I had realized that the advance in lithium-polymer batteries meant that I didn't really need to use capacitor banks at the sort of energy levels I was talking about. So bought some of those, had the parts ready, and I built up a little prototype, and it worked twice. And then, you know what it did, Peter? It caught fire. It caught fire. Correct, But this time, it didn't catch fire on the high-voltage circuits or the high-power circuits. No, it caught fire in a tiny little five-cent part that I could not find a reasonable replacement for that took the 50 volts and turned it into 15 volts to run the switching circuitry to actually turn on the big transistor. I just could not think of a clean solution, a clean remedy for this. And then 2B or the fourth term of mechatronics engineering at Waterloo, is known as to be or not to be, on account of it having had some tremendously hard courses. One of which is taught, quite literally, by one Dr. Savage. I am not kidding. That's his actual name? That is his actual name. Oh my lord. Or it might just be, it might be Professor Savage. Let's go with Dr. Savage. That's a better story. Who remains... One of the most frustrating professors I have ever had to endure. Anyways, in 2B, again, it kept catching fire, but, you know, shortly before it had started catching fire, I had had to apply for co-op jobs for the next term. And one of them that was on the list, the second time I checked the list, was the internship at Hacksmith Industries, in Kitchener, no less, I just like a five minute bike ride from where I lived. And I went, wow, that's awesome. What can I do to make sure I get this job? Well, clearly I need to write a good cover letter extolling why I'm so enthusiastic about this position, this opportunity, like the giving back to this community that's brought me so much joy and thrill and moved me forward in life and given me a direction and a sense of capacity and ability. That was a pretty good talk. Mm-hmm. And that was a good way to open it. But then I thought, no, but they want something more concrete than that. Principles are great, but these guys build rail guns. Hmm. Also, I built a coil gun, and I think you guys might like it. Regards, Charles Holt Forster. So, some time passes, I send in my application, and I hear absolutely nothing back. That's fine. That happens to most applications. I sent like 100 job applications that year. And then midterms week comes around, and I don't know whether they still do it like this or not, but at the time we had midterm week, or hell week as we called it, whereby instead of having classes Monday through Friday in one particular week, the week before reading week, think about that one for a minute, we would just have one midterm on Monday, one midterm on Tuesday, one midterm on Wednesday, one midterm on Thursday, one midterm on Friday. It sounds awful. But actually, that kind of beats the other way of doing it by a significant margin. It gives you a nice time-limited sense of when and how much you can study for each midterm, how long you can spend worrying about it. And then, at the end of it, you're on reading week, during which you suddenly have no reading to be doing. So I think it was a fantastic idea. I loved it. Demarcation. We love to see it. Yep. Monday of midterm week, I have my first midterm, which was with Professor Jim Barney for MTE-220, Sensors and Instrumentation, which is perhaps the course that I've remembered the most material from over the years. However, it was also the course that brought the most of my fellow classmates to tears. So, you know, some good news, some bad news. After that midterm, 30 minutes later, I had a job interview to attend. I get back home, a little tired. I know I need to study for whatever the heck the next midterm was. But I check my email first. My school email. And it says, congratulations. You've been selected for an interview. And I go, Oh, great. Where from? Hacksmith Industries. Hmm. Holy shit. Okay. I need to get this job. I'm not letting this opportunity slip me by. How am I going to go about securing this job? I have the interview. Mm -hmm. Now I just need to never be forgotten. Clearly, the correct way forward was to find some way to finish the coil gun and get it working reliably and bring it to the job interview. And you know, I didn't really need those marks in those other courses that I had midterms for that week. So I took the final interview slot of the day. It was for the Friday of that week. And that gave me Four midterms between then and now. (laughs) (laughs) And enough time to build a working coil. So, mad dash scramble. I had already, at the start of the term, put a bit of thought into how I was going to approach this and bought some power supplies that would solve the problem and redone the board design in the hopes of remedying it. Uh, I hadn't shipped the boards for fabrication, so I'd need to do some rework. It would get a little sketchy. So, I go, okay, well... I had wanted to build this whole mechanical assembly where it would actually be like, you know, a gun-shaped thing. I don't have the time for that. In fact, I don't even have the time to draw that. So instead, I'm going to take what I have and bolt it to a chunk of plywood. That's good enough. And I can get free laser cutter time at the Rapid Prototyping Center on campus.
0: And if it was anything like U of T's during exam week, it would probably be dead. Yes, it was entirely dead. So dead
1: that I could, in fact, just put together a request of part files export them to DXF, send them by email, and receive the parts the next day with less than four business hour turnaround. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And so I did exactly that. I built up this little, well, thing you would see in the video if you watched it. This little panel with some coil gun stages and room for more, and some parts to bolt down the circuit boards, and some parts to bolt down a power supply, and a big red button with a missile cover lever switch.
0: That was also in the video.
1: It was. Finally, I got this all assembled Thursday night. And Friday morning, I had a midterm. Friday, I got home from the midterm. Noon, didn't eat anything, and just went straight into attempting to tune that thing into within an inch of its life. It had no feedback systems, which regrettably has been a theme that has continued through the rest of my Goal Gun builds. So I had to manually tune both stages. Within two hours, I had it working as well as I could possibly get it without, you know, within margin of error and not having any measuring tools whatsoever that were suited to this task. Walk onto campus into the Tatham Center, which is where all the job interviews take place at the University of Waterloo. Get a quick side eye from the security guard, but he just looks back at his magazine and I sit down. Oh, deep breath. This is going to go fine, I hope. And eventually, my name comes up, walk upstairs, and I'm greeted into the room Hey, I'm E.H. James. Pleasure to meet you. Charles, Charles. I see you brought something for show and tell. Yeah, I guess I did. Nobody else did. It would seem that, somehow, for the most interesting job on that entire list, I was the only person who had even thought that showing up with something to show off. Some indication of passion was a good idea. Long story short, three years later, I'm working here full-time, and that mad dash scramble over the course of four days to get that thing built remains the best decision I have ever made.
0: Well, cheers to good decisions. My beer's empty. So is mine. Well, it's worth a shot. Probably for the best. Yeah, so it looks like your incredible story of how your passions dovetailed one into the other uh, into a co-op job interview, which eventually led to you making YouTube videos viewed by the millions, showcasing your your passion, and uh, in turn, hopefully instilling the the passions of, of younger
1: minds or just of any other people. That is the goal. That is certainly the goal. If I can make anybody watching these videos as excited about the prospect of doing what I do as I am, that is a victory.
0: If the unit of measure uh, for your goal is the number of minds that have been impressed uh, upon, then I'd say you're doing wonderfully well. If let's say we could catalyze your leverage Using these buzzwords, if if we could elongate your leverage arm by even further with the snap of God fingers, Thanos fingers, if you will, <laughs> what do you think you can see yourself doing? Like, is
1: is this uh, is this peak, Charles? Well, peak, Charles. The thing is, at the end of the day, doing something like this for the joy of other people isn't necessarily my sole thing in life. Mm -hmm. So peak Charles as an engineer, as somebody who will only disdainfully call themselves an influencer, but I guess that is kind of my day job, so I might as well fess up to it. I can't really foresee doing something that is more influential than what I'm doing right now. By the same token, would I say this is my peak? No, I'd say I have plenty of room to go. Uh, Certainly plenty of time. If this is my peak, that indicates some bad things about the trend line for the rest of the way. Uh uh So no, this had better not be my peak. I have plenty more time to try other things. But it also is a little reductive. Is this peak Charles? No, this is peak Charles being an internet personality to showcase the joys of engineering. What is my actual peak? I have absolutely no idea. Is this my true calling? Probably not, maybe, I don't know I'm only 23 There's plenty of other fun things That I could wind up doing At the end of the day No matter how many people I can influence Towards making The changes I want to see in this world And while Having other people be excited And interested and passionate about the things I'm passionate about Is a passion in and of itself And a worthy goal If If this all fell apart and I had to do something else, there's plenty of other things that are equally worthwhile. Attempting to solve the problems that I want to see solved myself, that's important, but just the goal of, well, the secondary goal of making people smile and doing things that are fun and engaging and interesting, that's also important. And I try to keep a good healthy dose of that going beyond the day job the very least
0: yeah so you're you're in you're not just uh, an educator you're you're an entertainer
1: actually with with how our videos tend to come together i would say i usually tend to be more on the entertainer side than the educator side um, and that is not like a distinct decision but that does tend to pay the bills better incredibly
0: which are there social causes or perhaps like large-scale if, if you were made world dictator and you could bend politics at the snap of a finger, are, are there things that you would like to see?
1: All right. Well, if we're going to go uh, full real talk here for a minute, Peter, we're absolutely fucked on climate change. We need to do something about that immediately. Preach. But I don't have any clear plans for how to solve that that don't involve major economic and societal upheaval. We're making progress. We need to make that same progress faster. And as it stands, I'm not directly contributing to that. My hope is that even if the direct change I'm making isn't the change I want to see, the indirect change of getting other people to feel like they can influence the world positively will affect those goals that I'm ultimately passionate about. We need a more equal world. We need a more equitable world. We need a world that isn't spiraling into hellfire. And we should be able to accomplish that with engineering to a certain degree. There's other aspects of change that are needed. But I hope that inspiring others to feel as I do about these things will cause something to happen.
0: You know, if, if we follow on the theme of lifelong learning, you starting in your mom's garden and learning there that you can affect change, in your own life and the things around you, and now fast forward to today, where you are teaching this lesson to literally millions of people around the world. This is a learning process for you. You're slowly building the skills that could be requisite to making these positive changes uh, in the world. the The purpose wasn't to like put you into a corner and say, "Oh, so what? What like do we want to see change in the world today?" But we're we're all. Uh, we're all works in progress, and I, I can't wait to see what comes next. Thanks. Yeah, cheers to lifelong learning. Um, thanks for hosting me in this uh, super cool space that you got You're here.
1: Absolutely welcome. I'm glad you can make it. I don't give many tours these days just because of the season, as it were, uh, but it's always great to bring someone in to share in the The same sort of wonderment that I got out of all this way back when.
0: Yeah, no, you definitely had uh, Richard and I, like kids in a a candy store. Um, So thank you, Charles. And if, uh, you know, if people wanted to follow you in some capacity,
1: how could they do that? Uh, I can be found, well, first and foremost, most likely on Hacksmith Industries on YouTube. But if you want to follow me specifically... You won't find much, but you can check out Charles Build's stuff on Instagram.
0: You know, the the occasional videos that you do post are fucking cool, and I like the showmanship that goes with it, so you should definitely post more.
1: Well, that's a hell of an idea, but um, don't push it.
0: A couple weeks after this recording, we actually gave the treats of a tour at Hacksmith to the kids in the robotics program that I run. They were pleased to say the least. In that visit, Charles gave what I thought a very eloquent and illuminating response to the question about how he got to where he is now. I don't remember a verbatim, but essentially he advised them to engage with their own interests and projects. In the meantime, learning new skills and perhaps even creating show and tell pieces for future interviews. And I thought, this is totally right. The best creators that I know are not the ones that killed all the exams in engineering school. In fact, a formal technical education is not necessarily requisite. The most talented creators that I know are serial self-tankers, people who did things and made things without anybody telling them to. These recent interactions with Charles and the kids remind me of the childlike wonder and excitement personal projects would bring me, such as this podcast. The notion that anybody could sketch out an idea, pick up some tools, try to make it and iterate until it's right, or even not, whatever the metric is, all in their own accord, fueled by their own desire without needing to wait to be taught the skills and tools in school, which may never happen, I can think of few personal development protocols as powerful as that. So, thank you, Charles, for reigniting that flame. And thank you, my listeners, for tuning in to Pardon My Passion. See you next time.